If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. Today's guest is Patrick Baines. Patrick is the CEO of Nerdwise. Nerdwise is a Philly-based startup that enables sales teams to accelerate each stage of their buying process from prospect discovery to outreach and acquisition. We had a really amazing conversation. Patrick is a veteran in this industry, not only in the tech startup world, but in sales also. He was an early team member at LinkedIn, which is a super exciting story, and he's since gone on to co-found two different startups. What impressed me most was Patrick's investment in his sales abilities and skill set. He's not only a great marketer, but knows a lot about generating pipeline in a data-driven way. Uh, He shares some really great insights into how Nerdwise nurtures their customers and does thoughtful gestures that help build good rapport and ultimately pay dividends for their business. Patrick's an all-around great guy, and it was so great to have him on the show. Welcome, Patrick, to the SaaS Sales Players. Patrick, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jesse. Great to be here. And uh, you're you're based in Philly, right? Is that uh, what I saw on LinkedIn? That's correct. Are you f- from there originally, or uh, relocate there as a as an adult? Uh, yeah, I moved here in 2009, um, so I've been here for about 12 years. Oh, wait, nice. Let me, let me see if I'm doing my math right. <laughs> yeah, 12 years. Yep. 12 years. Uh, that's awesome. No, Philly's a great town. Uh, where are you? Are you from Pennsylvania originally or, uh, you know, where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest in um, Chicago and Wisconsin. And then I moved to Atlanta and then I went to school in New York. And then I basically moved to Philadelphia after college. That's, that sounds like you've been all over. Yeah. Yeah. I'm leaving out a few other places, but <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, I always, uh, you know, I always start the, the episode off with, I'd love to learn your origin story. Tell us how uh, you're, you know, you're now in the, the software sales arena. How did that start? What was your journey to get to where you are today? Uh, well, when I was, so when I was growing up as like a kid, my dad was in the army and I, I watched what his career was like. And it's, it's funny because I think there's just a huge gap in like career education for people and like what you can do. Um, but I saw my dad was in the army and then I had, you know, the other careers I knew about were like neighbors and family members. And so I didn't have a whole idea of what the options were as a, as a kid, but I have an uncle who, who owns a company and I, I got to see his success and a lot of his lifestyle and freedom. And I thought, man, it looks like owning a company seems like a really great 
direction to go. And so that was, that was kind of the only thing I ever knew is I wanted to start a company one day and be like my uncle. Um, and then when I was in college, it, it looked like the options were either like go work on wall street, right? This is before the collapse of 2007 right. and, um, that whole crisis, uh, but it was either like go work on Wall Street, go to law school, or like I'm not, I wasn't even sure what the other options were. But I saw a video of what it was like to work at Google, like randomly one day, just cruising around the internet. And I mean, this was like YouTube. I don't even know if Google had bought YouTube yet. Um, but I, I just saw a video of what it was like to work at Google, and that people could wear whatever they wanted, and that the culture looked really relaxed. They had, they've got, I think they still have it. Some rule where you know, like 20% of your time is spent on other stuff, not your job. It's like free time to work on other projects or ideas. And so yeah. it just all kind of resonated with me. I've, I've been wearing Birkenstocks my whole life. And I, I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't like the idea of having to shave and put on a suit and like change, uh, kind of not, not who I was, but just to conform and, and adjust my way of being for a job. And so that never really, yeah, that never really appealed to me. And, and when I realized what it was like to work at Google, I thought, okay, well, let me look for other internet companies to, uh, to apply to. I did apply to Google. I never heard back. Um, but uh, I was, you know, I was being pretty savvy. I was using Google news search and looking for startups in the cities that I would potentially move to after college. And um, this company LinkedIn that had maybe 30 to 40 employees at the time was uh, opening a, a customer service center in Omaha, Nebraska. Wow. And I applied and then I flew in and, and met with them. And, uh, you know, a few weeks later, I got an offer to, to work at LinkedIn and it was exactly what I had hoped. You know, I got to be myself and wear my Birkenstocks to work and kind of work in a cool, creative environment. Um, and LinkedIn at the time had like 8 million members. We took pictures with every wow. next million. So in any case, that's how I got here. Um, and I was trying to reverse engineer my way from working for startups to, you know, starting my own. And um, mm -hmm. And that that kind of worked out. So that's that's the origin story. Just one quick thought. I, I love that the Birkenstocks was like the the primary driver. It's it's so interesting because there's going to be a whole generation of workers upcoming, or, or it's already started, that will never have to think about wearing, uh, you know, business casual or a button up shirt and slacks to to work. And I know that. For, so I got into tech for some of the similar reasons. Uh, I you know worked around relatives and things like that, that were entrepreneurs or, or worked in the technology business. And I noticed they were always the ones that got to wear jeans and, and Birkenstocks or whatever to work. Whereas, you know, my dad would put on his slacks and tie and dress shirt. And I was like, I don't want to do that. He, my, my dad works in higher ed. So it just wasn't, uh, you know, it's exactly the same sort of motivator for me was, uh, man, those guys seem to, to be able to wear whatever they want to work. Uh, and yeah, there's going to be a whole generation of people that started their career during this pandemic and, you know, yoga pants and basketball shorts are just the new norm. And uh, I, yeah, I can't, people just won't be able to imagine having to wear, uh, you know, dress shoes or a button up shirt or slacks to, to work ever again. So, and that's across all industries. So that's, uh, you know, exciting. So early, well, I'll add, there is a yeah. flip side to that though, which is, I think that the, those who really want to excel the fastest will get good at in-person and will want to be in an office some segment of the time. I mean, there's a, a whole amount of growth that, that happens organically when you're with people, especially, you know, people that are more experienced and can hear you say something or watch you do something and give you feedback. 
Um, yeah. And that doesn't happen in the virtual world. And then, and then, so I do think there's going to be that opportunity and that's, you know, as we come out of the pandemic, a lot of that will normalize again. Um, but then just back to like, you know, I know this isn't a fashion podcast, but I was, I was really um, in kind of caught off guard or, 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 you know, illuminated one time to, I was out with the CEO of uh, my last business and I was out with him and his wife having drinks. And she commented that, uh, that, that he really like respected people who, who like dressed uh, nice and like had a, had a good sense of style. And I just yeah. thought it was like the funniest thing that he actually kind of picked up on that. Cause I don't, I don't really think it matters necessarily, but there is something about, you know, showing up correctly and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, being presentable and not, you know, if I was going out to meet a client, I wouldn't old school kind of elements and best practices around like, you know, showing up correctly and spending time with people and collaborating, all that stuff is super important. Yeah, I, I totally agree, especially for, for in-person interactions. That's when it counts. You know, it's okay to do your, your like behind the scenes work and, and some aspects of your role and your Birkenstocks, but when it, yeah, when, when it counts interviews on sites, meeting a, a future CEO, whatever it is, or a current CEO, definitely totally agree address for success and it is noticed. And uh, that's an interesting thought that the, the professionals that, that want to really drive their career in the future will, will invest a little bit extra in their in-person or face-to-face -face demeanor and, and skill set. It'll be a, you know, a whole skill set. Whereas it was something I think we all took for granted 10, 15 years ago. Uh, it'll now be, uh, you know, an extra thing that you got to invest in is how do you manage yourself in person when we do have, uh, you know, in-person meetings uh, or on-sites. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, you have to. I, I, I mean, mo most of the growth that I've had, like the, the, the periods of real accelerated professional development happened from observing other people and being in the same space with them and watching how they made decisions or how they did something or whatever the case is. And, and it doesn't happen the same way remote. You don't, you know, you just don't get it uh, that way. So yeah, yeah. It's important. So I want to learn a little bit more about your time at LinkedIn. Uh, that's a super exciting first, you know, sort of career in the tech business. Uh, LinkedIn's one of my all-time favorite companies. Uh, I had you just, I, I was all for it. I've been on LinkedIn for a number of years. Uh, I was excited to see the, the Microsoft acquisition a few years ago. And it looks like you were in, was it customer success? Uh, you know, I'm just curious back in, in 2007 to 2009, that company probably looked completely different than it does today. At that time, what was the product? Did, you know, I have a billion questions here. Did you meet Reed Hoffman? Uh, what was the product at that time? Who were you supporting? And yeah. how did this also, well, let me start with those questions. I'm going to ask how it sort of springboarded into a sales career for you and, and ultimately an entrepreneurial career for you. Yeah. So I love, I love using like LinkedIn as an example when I talk about how your product doesn't matter as much as you think it does. Um, and, and it's really the problem you solve and the brand you're building and like a bunch of other things. And the product is like one of five things that actually matters. And if you, you can Google, you know, LinkedIn homepage through the years and see what it used to look like. I mean, when I was mm -hmm. there, there was no profile photo. There were no updates. There was no feed. Um, there was, there was a lot of the, you know, there was no messaging. There were no groups. None of those things mm -hmm. existed. Um, it wow. was, add your Rolodex, you know, see who can connect you into someone else. And it was really a power tool for recruiters 
Um, and that was one of their big business lines and still is today, probably the biggest, which is their recruiting and, and you know, uh, they call them corporate solutions, but right. really re recruiting and hiring solutions. So, um, but to LinkedIn's credit and, and Reed Hoffman, you know, being like one of the probably greatest entrepreneurs of all time, um, they have, an, and, I, and there's an old interview at like Stanford with Jeff Weiner and Reed Hoffman together. I think they're together, but you know, Jeff Weiner says, if you were to look back at the original business plan for LinkedIn, it's just such a beautiful thing because everything that they planned on and predicted like is, has come true and is like, they, they set the direction really, really well. And I'm a big fan of direction over speed and, mm -hmm. you know, whether it be that it's your go-to-market plan or your product strategy and, and thinking through things in, in the longer run, um, all of that, that kind of vision and direction helps you execute and make decisions so much better. But LinkedIn, so, so back then it, it was still very much like I believe it is today, which is why yeah. LinkedIn has such a strong culture. I mean, I, I still see people that are like, you know, leaving after 10 years and posting on LinkedIn and like, and, and they're, or, they, or they move, they're at LinkedIn celebrating their fifth year anniversary and they're so proud. And it's been such a transformative place for so many people. But they have built, they really built an, a culture of excellence, as cheesy as that, that term sounds. But yeah, they have great leadership. Um, and it helps, of course, it, it, it's easier to build a great culture when you're just killing it and you've got a great product, a great brand. And, and you know, that, that makes, makes it easier and more fun to, uh, to, to build a company anyway. You don't have to worry about a lot of the other problems most other startups are going through. So, um, Anyway, to LinkedIn's credit, they, yeah. they was very much like, I believe it is today, except now it's probably a little bit more corporate. I think there's like, you know, of course it is, it's owned by Microsoft, but I think the culture is still the same uh, as it was when I was there. Um, I, I still am in touch with a lot of my friends at LinkedIn. To your question about, did I meet uh, Reed Hoffman? He was there at the ribbon cutting when, when our office opened. I did not meet him. I, at the time, it wasn't even that big of a deal, to be honest. Right, um, yeah. Uh, and then, and then we had a, a CEO named Dan Nye, who I, I did meet when he came in and I met a bunch of the executive team They'd come and sit down when they came to visit our customer operations and, uh, um, sit down in my cubicle with me for like an hour, which was like, I, I learned so much in those hours back to our first point when I would just get to sit down with somebody who had, you know, been there and done that and built other companies. So, um, yeah. And then, I mean, I can, I can go anywhere you want with that, with that topic. <laughs> yeah. but, that's so I'm trying to, I imagine LinkedIn's probably got what, 10,000 employees now? 15 to 20,000, definitely. And you were number 162 I'm seeing here. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Uh, and yeah, so I guess to your point about Reed Hoffman, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal when you're employee number 162. It's just another guy starting a business, not the, you know, sort of, they call him like the Oracle of Silicon Valley now, or uh, I think that's the, the, the nickname they've given him, but he's such a legend. Uh, I've read a couple, or I've read the startup of you as a book by him and just followed, he's been on a couple of podcasts. I just, yeah. What a, what an amazing experience. That is super cool. Yeah. If you like Reed Hoffman, you should check out masters of scale. Oh, that's right. Is that his podcast or. Yeah. Yeah. It has gotten okay. a little bit weird in their like third or fourth season. Now he's interviewing like um, and it's cool, but it's like Barack Obama and like famous athletes and people that aren't really, I wouldn't, they, they, they tie it back to entrepreneurship in right. a way, but some of his earlier seasons were actually interviews with entrepreneurs and, and they, it's super well edited, super well produced and, and just full of great content. So big, big fan of the masters of scale podcast, but I, I do think it's gotten a little weird in the last year or so. 
that uh, I will definitely have to check that one out. Yeah, love love the stuff Reed's done. So did you know? Was it at LinkedIn? I'm seeing here that you kind of then moved on and and became self-employed. Uh, how did that transition happen? I mean, going from being just a you know I shouldn't say just an employee, an early employee at one of the you know most well-known startups that to ever come out of the Silicon Valley. Uh, but how do you go from being uh, you know a team member to an operator and an owner and a leader? Well, I mean, so. I, I was reverse engineering my career, so I did kind of know what I was doing and had an idea yeah. of what my next steps would be. Um, but the, the, a lot of the decisioning around when to leave and when to make the next leap for me has always been uh, instinctual, but instinctual around when I've stopped growing and I need to make a change to get to the next level of my, my own growth, personal or professional. And I was playing hacky sack for like an hour a day, breaking records with a coworker of mine <laughs> And, and we would just be bored and we're like, okay, let's go out back and like break our record of like how many times we can, you know, hit this thing around before it touches the ground. And, I'm, and so I started to feel really like this is it. And I, I tried to move around inside of LinkedIn into other roles, but it was growing so fast that I, and I, I was a final candidate for a number of positions, but the people they hired were coming out of Google and Deloitte and went to Stanford mm -hmm. and Harvard. And I'm like, I had I didn't have the the credentials to to keep up and uh, I got a lot of pats on the back that hey you were really close but we have to take this person and so I just didn't feel like the growth opportunity was there for me and and um, so I left on a on a whim like pretty with you know my my dad freaked out it was it was funny so this is this was a big lesson I learned at that time um, when when you ask advice from people this is obvious but the best lessons I think are you will get what they would do. And if you ask a, a colonel in the army about, you know, quitting your job, he's going to be like, you know, have a panic attack and tell you like, no, you want to, you know, it's a great company, stay there for 20 years. Right. And, and then I go and I talk to my uncle about it. And I'm like, you know, I'm thinking about leaving my job. And he's like, well, I was 27 when I started Maple Ridge Farms <laughs> and like <laughs> just goes on. And then he says his advice was, you know, well, well, don't don't start. Go ahead and figure out what you want to do next, because, you know, as soon as you quit, that's your cash flow. So so hold on to yeah. your cash flow while you figure it out. Um, and I did that for a little bit. But anyway, I, I quit kind of blindly, didn't know what I was going to do. And then uh, another person from LinkedIn had just left the month earlier to start what is what was People Links, the, the next company mm -hmm. I was a part of and called me and said, you know, hey, I'm starting this new company. I heard about you from someone else, like actually made the connection, uh, uh, some, another coworker at LinkedIn connected us. And he was from Philadelphia. And mm -hmm. um, so I started working, you know, part-time as a contractor. After about a month or two, I flew up to meet him. And then uh, he said, you know, look, I, and he, he made me an offer and, 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 and I got to be a co-founder. And I describe it as being like a shotgun seat entrepreneur. Like at, at LinkedIn, I was like a back of the bus, you know, employee, mm -hmm. but, but like I was on the, I was on the bus and then I, right. I, I moved up to the shotgun seat and he really took, took on a lot of the leadership and had a sales background. And I learned a, a tremendous amount with, uh, with that experience over the next five or six years to the point where my risk tolerance was like, still is like through the roof because you know, I, I know now how to do a lot of things I, I, you know, can do without funding or without other relying on other people and um, so forth. So anyway, that's how I, I ended yeah. up. I made the leap blindly, got connected, uh, became co-founder of People Links. It's a whole other story in itself. Um, and that that got me you know, towards where I am today. Now, it sounds like at People Links, you, you learned, you know, kind of honed in on the craft of, of sales and, and selling 
solutions. Tell us about uh, the learning curve there, or were you selling before that? No, I wasn't. And I, and I actually focused more on customer relationships and success. We sold to big enterprises, Fortune 500, uh, Amlaw 100. Um, we had all the big four consulting companies as clients. And it was just these huge enterprise deals, but um, it was all relationship driven. And, and from a, you know, all we had to do was get a pilot or get the relationship and then kind of have me you know, work closely with them. And what we were doing was a LinkedIn optimization platform for teams. So we, we let, we, we had a platform that let companies optimize the LinkedIn profiles and activity of their, of their teams. And it took off. Um, but I was, I was more on that side. So I drew, I, 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 uh, I drove a lot of growth inside our accounts. And then it wasn't until I started, and I, I did learn a tremendous amount about sales, no, no doubt, but yeah. I, I learned way more when I started this business seven years ago, and I didn't have all those fantastic salespeople around me uh, mm. creating the relationships and the opportunities and um, you know, giving me the customers to work with, and I had to do it on my own. And mm -hmm. I, hired a, I hired a sales coach, a guy by the name of Scott Messer, who had a group called Guest Free Selling. He taught me two or three things in a few weeks that changed my my career, my life, my sales career forever. And uh, and and then of course, like you know, when you don't have any money coming in and you have to you have to make payroll or just yeah. keep the lights on, you learn how to sell pretty quickly. Are you able to share those two or three things that you learned that were completely game changing? Oh my God, yeah, I'd be happy to. <laughs> I, I I try to, you know, and I, I get to work with a lot of entrepreneurs in my current role. And when I can tell that they're, you know, just getting started and they don't know what they don't know, I mean, I I I kind of geek out and I'll I'll spend as much time as I can, just trying to like save them the you know the headache and and yeah. the tears and and failures if I can. But yeah, um, well, one of the, one of the biggest ones was. We were going into a call with, uh, and this sales consultant, by the way, is so good. He would prep with you for calls, listen in on calls, debrief with you, re review your emails, you know, revise them, send them to you before you send them. I mean, just did all the kind of sleeves up dirty work. But we're prepping for a call with DraftKings, and um, huh. he's, he's like, okay, so what's your plan? You have an agenda? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're, we're totally prepared. We've got this whole agenda. i got slides ready. He goes, okay, what's, what's, uh, what do they want to get out of the call? And I said, well, I'm not really sure. <laughs> he said, well, that's, that's the only thing that matters. That's your agenda. You got to figure out what they want. And, um, and then he gave me some language to ask them. And that's his whole idea is around guest-free selling is, you know, your only job is to figure out what, what, uh, it, what the customer needs, what they want, why they're even talking to you in the first place. Um, and I start every call now with, you know, some questions around like, hey, Jesse, thanks for taking time to speak with me. I'm happy to tell you about what we do, but before I do, do you have any questions or is there anything in particular you want me to be sure and touch on? And people will tell you what they want. They'll tell you what they're looking for. Um, and so like, even on that mm -hmm. DraftKings call, I had already had many calls with them and I get on and I say, hey, you know, guys, this is going to be a silly question, but we've had a number of calls and we've been, you know, working with you a little bit here and there. Like, what do you want to get out of this relationship? Like, what, how can we help you the most and, and, and how do we make the most of this call? And man, they just open up and tell us everything. They're like, well, mm -hmm. and they got this whole program going and they're testing all these different channels and they want us to be like, you know, whether we can validate a certain amount, all the things doing that. And that drove the whole call. So one is just, yeah, you know, if somebody steps on a car lot, you know, they're going to buy a car. It's not your job to go and show them the, 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 your favorite car, the nicest cars or to start talking about cars. It's your job to understand why they're there in the first place 
and and how you can help them make make their decision. Um, so so I'll, I'll add to that what I do. Uh, I've, I've done this for years now, thanks to a, a mentor I had who what we would do when, when we book a discovery call uh, or a, you know an intro call, whatever you want to call it. We I would send an email the day before and confirm, hey, you know, just want to make sure Mr. and Mrs. Prospect that this time still works for you. Oh, also in preparation for the call and to make the best use of everybody's time uh, in, you know, one or two sentences, would you mind sharing what you're hoping to take away from tomorrow's session? That way we can prepare accordingly. And it works like a charm. Uh, it's actually, this is actually a good reminder. I need to be a little more consistent about this right now, uh, because it, it works really well. One, you confirm that they're still on for the meeting the next day. And then two, you know, a good amount of the time you're going to get someone that writes back and says, Hey, thanks for asking. Here's what our ultimate goal is. And, you know, a couple sentences, we'd love it if you could focus on this aspect of your solution or this feature or whatever it is, or we're, you know, we're having this challenge and this is why we're taking a call with you. I will say sometimes prospects just say, no, nothing special. Just show us the, you know, the, the, the spiel or whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. I get that a lot too. Uh, but every now and then, you know, I should say 50, 50% of the time, you're going to get someone that writes back and says, appreciate that question. Here's what we're hoping to achieve. And then you're ready to go for the meeting. You've confirmed it. It's going to happen. And it gives you 24 hours roughly to make sure that you're dialed in and fully prepared for a conversation that's productive on both sides. But I am all for guest-free selling and, you know, taking that mystery out of the equation, especially because you, it's so easy to do it. It's not that hard to send an email or to your point, in the front part of the call, just ask the question, Hey, before we get into anything here, I want to make sure that we walk away at the end of this session uh, with, you know, mutual next steps and that I've covered everything that you guys want to hear uh, about our solution. So love the tactic. And uh, I agree that that's an absolute game changer in a sales career. Well, yeah. And then, I mean, there, there's, there's bolt-ons, right? Cause you're right. 50% of the time they don't want to tell you cause they're just, they're, they, they, they don't want to share what they're looking for. You know, it's just, they, they want to learn if you're a fit or not. And, and they're just gun shy about it. So, I mean, half the time you're right. People will say, no, no, no. I just want the overview. And I go, great. That's yep. fine. And then I, and then I have two more like leading questions um, to get them to, to open up. I say, well, you know, we, we help with lead generation and, and, you know, a number of other things if we were to work with you guys, you know, who's your target customer? And then I get them talking and then suddenly they'll just be like, all right, screw it. I'm going to tell you what I'm looking for. <laughs> and <laughs> right. or, or, they'll, or, or, or I'm starting to lead them to where we're going. And then another great question. I learned this one not long ago from a guy named James Rory's, who's a, a fantastic sales consultant we work with. He, um, he talks about, you know, you want to ask the question that your prospect can't answer. And, mm. um, you know, that it basically just exposes a vulnerability that, you know, you can, that, that you can address. So his, his, is he's a sales consultant. So he'll ask a question like, how much more effective can your sales team be? Hmm. And it, a CEO or head of sales might go, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. Right. Like, and then they, yeah. they want to know, well, how, how, how much more effective can they be? And then, you know, it, it leads into what he does. Right. So you want to have, great. You know, you want to have, so I, I have a series of questions and I ask them that almost every prospect, it's a, it's a, it's a process that, you know, you have to iterate on. It takes a long time to get to, but um, you know, before you start asking those, like before you, you, cause people will get pissed off, right. They like, they don't want, they want to know what you're doing. And so I always tell them like, Hey, look, I'm going to, I'll give you an overview of what we do. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'll do that for you guys. Is there anything you want to know? And then, and then I go, you know, go into the other ones just to 
keep trying to open it up and get them talking? That's a great question because it can also be used across any industry, any buying persona, because it, you know, you can interchange it with how could your process be better? How could your, you know, customer success team be better? How could your, you know, data lake be better? There's just so many ways you could take that and, and formulate it into one that works for your buying audience. So I, I, that's really interesting. I'm writing that one down uh, because sometimes you, it is hard. There's a struggle with, you ask that initial question, but then continuing to sort of dig in and get discovery conversations, conversational, frankly, and two-way and being able to actually get to the, the root of the, of the matter. That's a great one. Yeah, and, and positions you as an expert, um, that you have some knowledge and some expertise that they don't uh, necessarily have. I, I'll, I'll ask folks, one of mine is, you know, are you familiar with how marketing automation, you know, supports uh, sales, you know, like sales enablement and, and lead gen? And, you know, have you, have you ever experienced like a, a program like that that works and people will start just spewing about like, no, I'm kind of familiar. We tried something one time, it didn't work and they'll start to kind of go into it. And I'm like, okay, well, and that just tees up like, hey, I'm, I, can, I can explain that to you. That's awesome. What else uh, in, in terms of you, you mentioned that transformative, game-changing advice. Any other takeaways there? Um, I mean, I think that was one of the, that was one of the big ones. There, there were a lot of things, you know, when I, I was, after you asked the question about what I learned at, at PeopleLinks, um, you know, I think people create a lot of extra steps in their sales process that don't need to be there. Um, and so, you know, just kind of removing steps in a process is always a good thing, you know, whether it be a product, a, a sale, a customer onboarding, like whatever you can do to make things more streamlined and more simple. And um, yeah, I mean, I got, I could get in, I could get into the weeds, but there's, uh, I, I like one, one great example is, you know, have, I don't know if, I don't know if you do this or if your company does this, but a lot of people like will send their like legal, legal paperwork with their agreements. Um, and, you know, I learned a long time ago, you don't need to do that. You can just like have an order form and then link to your, your legalese on your website. And then suddenly like, you know, our, our amount of legal reviews went from like nine out of 10 to like zero. Um, you know, just Love like it. little things like that, where it, people think they can't go and edit your website, but they like, will they'll go through your legal docs and try to change it for their, for their particular deal. And so you end up creating all these, all these headaches, but there's a lot of stuff like that, that I've learned through the years that, you know, it all adds up to a big difference. That's such a great point. And, and yeah, I've been at startups where we implemented the, the digital terms of service, as opposed to having to send over a bunch of paperwork that's going to get redlined and take an extra month to close a deal. And it's probably good, not only on the rep level, but of course, on the leadership level to go through and almost look at the, the, the buyer journey for your solution and say, are we creating friction in the deal cycle by adding a bunch of paperwork just because we think we can't do something? Or should we challenge everything and say, wait a minute, we're doing a whole MSA on paper and it's going to the lawyer's office and taking a month to, to turn around when we could probably just put a, you know, a checkbox on the website with the digital terms of service and, and get through that whole step of the process a lot quicker. So that's a, you know, fantastic point that you should always be challenging your process to make sure, you know, you as a seller aren't creating friction uh, or unnecessary steps, frankly, for, for the buyer. Yeah. Awesome. So tell us about NerdWise. Uh, looks like you've been, you started NerdWise about seven years ago. 
what do you guys do? Uh, who do you serve? What was the catalyst behind the idea? Anything you want to share? Well, it's changed a lot in seven years. Um, as any good startup, you know, not any good startup, but a lot of startups do. We've, we've iterated, you could say pivoted, you know, adapted. Um, so there, there, seven years ago, we looked a lot different, but we've always been about, we've, we've identified that we've always been about productivity and helping companies work smarter, right? There's um, a lot of different things that need to come together for any, any organization's marketing effectiveness, sales effectiveness. Um, uh, and, and so we try to be a, a kind of a one central, you know, we, we use the, the term all-in-one sales enablement platform. But we, we want to make it so that you don't need to go somewhere else to get something. And if today, if you sign up for Marketo, Pardot, Outreach, MixMax, uh, pick, the, pick the, 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 the automation tool, like right. you still need like four or five other things to get that up and running. And a lot of people sign up for these really expensive platforms on multi-year or just annual multi-license annual agreements. And then they realize that like, it's not that easy to use it effectively um, or that the, you know, the adoption sucks. And so they end up looking to other places. And so that's, that's sort of what we're all about. I mean, the things that you need first to, to just to run a great marketing automation program is yes, you need the tool, but you need a, you need a plan that's got, it's organized, it's repeatable. And, and I, I, I hesitate to say scalable, but it just needs to be organized and repeatable. And then scalable is like, comes comes kind of last um but you need to have a the, the go-to-market plan and we provide that for clients you need to have um list services like you need to have you know some many people sign up for outreach and then they're like okay now we need to go sign up for zoom info it's another 15 grand um yeah got to have prospect lists and, and access to quality list services we provide that you need to have uh really effective messaging most uh companies that we work with. I mean, it's very rare that I meet a company that's already got their kind of um, sales outreach messaging well-baked. Um, yeah. I think the bigger companies, the bigger sales teams, they've got a little more support behind them. Um, we mm -hmm. tend to work with companies with less than 50 employees and maybe a five to 10 person sales force. And they're still kind of, you know, everyone's running their own play, has their own uh, uh, set of messaging, set of processes, and they don't really have a you know, director of demand gen or VP of marketing that's supporting them necessarily. Um, but you need to have great messaging. Uh, that doesn't come with outreach. That doesn't come with these other tools. Not to knock the tools. The tools are fantastic. Sure. Yeah. But you, need, you need a suite of things to get them up and running effectively. Um, and then you need an expert. Like you need somebody who can actually, you know, uh, ramp these ramp these programs up and, and execute them and get, you know, with quality assurance and approval processes and a number of things. And so we try to be that for our clients. Um, and I'm, I'm actually leaving a couple other things out, uh, yeah, but yeah. Th th there's a number of things that you need to, to, to get things up and up and running uh, effectively. And so we try to be that hub for our clients. The, the, the thing, the real catalyst for us that got us where we are today is um, a, a big energy brokerage out of New York City. And I know they're cool with me saying their name. Um, it's it's a, a company called Re Reflective Energy Solutions. And They've rolled up a bunch of other energy brokerages and they've got reps all across the country um, and they're selling a you know a commodity. They're selling alternative energy services in in states and areas that have uh, been deregulated. And mm -hmm. in any case, it's not like the easiest thing to sell. But the right. CEO saw us growing really fast a few years ago and um, and, and asked, you know, hey, how are you able to do that? And I've always been good at lead gen since since people linked. 
I understood like how to generate leads for sales teams and things. And so I was doing that for my team and we had a couple other service offerings and uh, I was like, well, I, 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 you know, implement this tool and we follow this process and we do all these things. He's like, you know, can you do that for my team? And I said, yeah, sure. Well, I'm sure we could do that. And he became like overnight became my biggest customer and still is to this day, wow. one of my biggest customers and doing this for three or four years now. Um, but it was a customer, you know, it was a customer asking, could, could we do something for him? And, you know, was happy to be our Guinea pig. And, uh, and so then we, we, you know, really built our solution around what our customers needed. Um, and, uh, he was the first one that, that he was like the, the driving force that, that got us here. That's fantastic. How did you go about building uh, a sales process once you sort of come up with the, the, the concept? I mean, it sounds like it was obviously evolutionary over seven years. How has, you know, for the first iteration of the sales process, how did, how did you think about that? Was it really just selling into your personal network or uh, I assume you guys, you know, take your own medicine and uh, utilize some of your, your own uh, technology and, and strategy. But tell us a little bit about how the, you formulated the, the first round of sales process. Well, it's interesting. I, I segment it between, there's like two buckets. There's your sales process, which is what you do with leads, right? And so lead, lead handling sales process. And then there's the lead generation process, like prospecting and how you generate those opportunities. Um, both of them have been, you know, have evolved and have been iterated on over time. Now they're, I mean, I have, I have a meeting overflow. I'm onboarding a sales rep today just to like free up my, some more of my bandwidth, but um, the, you know, it, 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 it's, uh, let me think. I mean, on the lead gen yeah. side, um, I think the, the most important thing before even the process, and I, I touched on this is like that go to market plan and where you focus. And I think that's more important from a lead gen standpoint than the process itself, right? You need, that's like the foundation. So, you know, having some really clear defined marketplaces that you are, you know, mm. definitely committed to, and then some that you think you're going to go after. And, you know, just, just thinking that through first, because then you can build out your lead gen process based on your audience and what, how they prefer to be engaged. And, you know, if you don't know who you're going to reach and if you're just trying to reach everybody, you know, you kind of, you don't get very far and you don't know what's working and what's not working. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that, that I think on the lead gen side is critical. And uh, um, you know, and then there's like, I, and I can spend time on that if you want, I can, I could talk about that like from a lead gen standpoint, but, but your go to market is critical, right? So if you can get just as an example, if you have two IT companies and we, we have over 75 uh, MSP IT consulting, you know, clients, um, but if you get two of them, then, you know, your process now goes from reaching out to, you know, try to introduce yourself as like a potential solution for IT companies to, hey, you know, I'm reaching out because we've, we have this success with these other IT companies and I thought it would yeah. be relevant to you. And then you build out, I can call it like a customer success stack. Uh, and that becomes part of, you know, in that, that becomes part of the DNA of your lead gen process, which is like, now I know, Hey, I've got, now I've gone from two to five it companies. I've got three of them are fantastic references. I've got one case study and now I'm just going to hit the gas and I'm going to go knock on, you know, digitally knock on every, uh, CEO owner of an MSP, almost region by region, telling them about what work we do for other, uh, other MSPs. So, so there's that side of it. 
Um, and I can go real deep on that. I'm a big, big uh, fan of, of lead gen. And then on the sales yeah. process side, you know, it's, it's not so different. I mean, um, I love sharing my process with, you know, like I said, other entrepreneurs, people who I can tell will benefit a lot from it, but it's, uh, um, you know, it was probably, it was, both of these were a lot uglier and a lot less automated and, um, not just not as, not as smooth and sexy seven years ago. And today you almost don't even think about them. We take them for granted. They're just like turnkey, you know, I could put on a blindfold and, and, you know, probably get an opportunity. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I even answered your question well, but no, that was great. Super interesting. Tell us about, do you have uh, full-time AEs on staff or are, are you doing most of the selling? Tell us about that. Yeah, I have um, one AE and then I do most of the selling today, um, but I have one AE uh, and one SDR. And then I've been very uh, fortunate to have two partners who are sales consultants mm-hmm. that we generate leads uh, for our company on their behalf and they close deals for me. And I get two or three new customers a month from each one of them. Um, and uh, it happened really organically where, you know, they introduced us to some of their clients um, as a potential lead gen solution. And then, uh, um, so they were, they were kind of like co-pitching us a little bit and then, and then it worked well for their clients. And then we said, Hey, look, what, why don't we just, you know, work with you guys and they're selling sales effectiveness. We're selling, you know, lead, lead gen essentially and sales enablement. Um, so I get some, I get good lead flow through some, or a good, good customer flow through some partners. I have an AE, uh, an SDR, and then we've got a head of marketing who, you know, runs our program and she generates about 15 to 20 leads uh, a week for us, which is oh, wow. know, plenty, plenty for us to grow off of. Is that just through search marketing uh, or like content syndication? How do you guys, I'm, this is an aspect that I'm, and I'm asking these questions just because uh, it's top of mind for me right now is what are the best ways to, to generate leads? What I'm observing, and you know, this may be a limited sample size, but the, the cold outreach market is, I don't want to say completely saturated. It just depends on the solution you have, but it's getting pretty noisy out there. And what I'm finding is that the companies that are doing the best job of, of getting a good search presence out there are really the ones that are building the best pipeline because they've got buyers coming to them to some extent. And then they've got a really great sales process to follow up with those leads and nurture them through the the deal cycle. When I started my career, the emphasis was really heavy on just, you know, Hey, look, we don't do marketing, at least some of the companies I've been at uh, it's, you know, look, we're not going to invest in marketing. This is a sales SaaS machine. And you're, we hired you to make a hundred phone calls a day and send a bunch of outbound emails and use LinkedIn and whatever else. And that worked for a while until everybody started thinking that way, I guess, at least again, from my perspective, but now what I'm seeing over the last couple of years is the, the brands, the companies that are investing in marketing and generating interest because I think software has now fully shifted and maybe it's been a while that it's been this way, but it is now really buyer driven for the most part, depending on what your solution is. Uh, the, the buyer is going to go out and do research and they're going to look at three or four different software vendors and then, you know, do an evaluation where they look at all four of those and as a team decide on which one they want to move forward with. So the role of the seller, from my perspective, again, is, is changed. It's, uh, you know, now the best sellers are the ones that know how to guide 
someone who's already, you know, done some research on your solution through a very well-defined process and they know how to, you know, work an organization, especially at the enterprise level to, to build, you know, multiple uh, threads in the deal process and ultimately be more of a guide. Uh, that's not to say, you know, you should completely stop outbounding because I do think that there's also, uh, you know, gold in those hills, if you will. But uh, I'm curious, kind of your thoughts on where the industry is going based on the work you're doing with clients. Is it, and I guess the, the original question I asked is, are you guys mostly doing search marketing to capture those leads or are there other tactics that others should be thinking about? Well, yeah, I mean, I think first it, it's interesting because we're on the front lines of a really big space, which is like tech enabled sales and you know we're we're using whatever it may be different uh, uh technologies and systems to uh, i don't know if you want to call it auto automate or scale up outbound sales and there's so many industries and so many size companies that they they're they're nowhere near where i'm sure you know companies you've been at and and my own mm -hmm. experience are so it seems like it's blowing up and getting busy um and I think that's I think that's true, uh, but you know I'm, I serve markets that they they don't have the first clue of where to get started um, in many cases, and and so I, I I still think there's a lot of growth in terms of like what can be done from a you know called you know cold outreach standpoint in in many different markets. Now, um, uh, just to to talk about how we generate our leads, are you familiar with the system called predictable revenue? I am Aaron Ross. Uh, read yeah, that book. Whole, yep. Oh, I yeah. learned, so I learned that in my last business. And, you know, there are so many elements to that system that have to make it go, to, that have to go right for it to really hum and work the way it should. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to like go to market planning is so important. Um, so many people throw a tool or automation or cold outreach, they throw it, they, they, they spray and pray, or they just, try and blast 2000 people and they go like, you know, well, it worked for a few meetings and then it never worked again or it tapered off. And, you know, th there's a lot of people who try and fail. And I think that, um, you know, that, that is where a lot of the noise comes from is people that just do it poorly and they, they smell, right. Like you get the email and it's like, yep. like, this is just terrible. Um, <laughs> right. And so, so there's a, and, there, and you get the cold call and it's like, this is not relevant. This is not useful, but if you're, oh, yeah. if you're implementing a system like predictable revenue correctly um, and you've got the right go-to-market plan, one, your team never does cold outreach. So there's no cold, mm -hmm. there is no cold outreach anymore. That's done, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm being, I'm being polar, but I have to, to make this distinction. Yeah. You know, if the cold outreach is being, is being automated. Now, if you've got a, the, uh, the correct go-to-market plan and effective messaging, then uh, it's not going to look like cold outreach, right? If I, if I have, if I have traction in a marketplace, uh, like financial services, and now I want to go after all of the financial services firms with 20 to 200 employees. I mean, I, I can take what I've learned. I can put it into a system like predictable revenue. I can get the, the prospect list. I can generate messaging because I know my audience. I know what they care about. I can put together the right types of messaging. And now as the ultimate gift to my, whether it be my SDR, my AE, I can now have very effective prospecting happening for them. And then when it's time for them to pick up the phone, we're tracking and scoring all the other prospects that are not responding and they get to, you know, pick up the ball at the 50 yard line. Or I say, it's like going from deep sea fishing to shooting fish in a barrel. Like they know right. who to call on and I have, and so that's what we do is we implement that system for ourselves. We, 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 you know, do something in a way similar for our clients, but the, um, 
you know, a lot of my, my SDR, when he puts uh, meetings on my calendar and I just closed, I, I closed three deals this week. I literally just got a docu sign wow. while we've been on the call. Um, <laughs> and it's Tuesday. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane sometimes. Um, but the, uh, uh, the SDR that I, that I, that he, when he puts appointments on my calendar, a lot of times they'll say to me, you know, this was just really great timing. Um, you guys, you guys called me at the right time. And I, and I'm like, well, actually we didn't call you. We didn't, we didn't call you because we were lucky. Like we knew that it was good timing. Like we, we called you because you engaged with an email, you went further down the rabbit hole and like, we could identify that there was something there. And they're like, no, 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 you guys never emailed me. And sure enough, you know, two weeks earlier, we sent them an email, they clicked through and then they, you know, went back to work, but we use that intelligence or that, you know, to, to identify them as, Hey, these, these folks have a need. So let's now call on them. So my SDR doesn't make cold calls per se. Um, he, we've identified folks that within, you know, a 14, 20 day period, they were engaging with an email about lead gen and, and sales effectiveness. And they, you know, they, they, they didn't just delete it. They, they went click through. And so we know that there's something there. And, and when we call, we treat it that way. That's fantastic. Now I love the, the intelligence and building that profile that then helps make the sale more predictable. Uh, I'm curious, what is the sort of implementation time for NerdWise? Once you guys start, you know, you finalize, it sounds like you finalize a DocuSign, congrats on that right here on the call. Uh, For this customer or a similar customer, what's the turnaround time for having a system like this implemented? Is it a matter of weeks or does it take months to really gather the the data that you need to be effective in that, uh, you know, in improving that sales process? Well, it, it, so we, we can implement one within two weeks. Um, now, the only caveat to that is if you don't know your uh, product market fit, if you're not an established business, uh, you know, like if you're a startup, we, we can't, you know, we can accelerate those learnings, but we have to, we have to learn with you. Um, if, if we work with a client that's got already, you know, 30 customers in six different industries, like that's a running start. All we have to do now is take the success that they've had help them, you know, align it, uh, with, with their, you know, their, their sales process, their lead gen, uh, process and, um, you know, help them put, put some, put some, uh, process around it. Cause they're, they, they've grown off of like most small companies do, they've grown off of networking and referrals and some in-person stuff. And it's, it's all the things that get you from zero to one, you know, for most companies, but to, to go beyond that, um, it takes, it takes some real muscle. And, and so, you know, if you're an established business, you can get it going a lot quicker. If you're not, it, it's going to, you know, it's going to take a little bit more. Uh, there's a little bit more of a learning curve in some cases, but usually two weeks. And it's, it's yeah. about, okay, what's the plan? Let's organize and prioritize what those markets are we want to go after. Now, what are the lists that we need of prospects? Let's get those, get them through approval. What's the messaging we need to engage those prospects, get that through approval, install the technology is like the, the, the final thing. And it's, you know, there's a lot of good tech out there that can do that. And then, uh, you know, ultimately the, 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 the real challenge for us, if you want to call it that, the challenge, the opportunity is how effective we can make our clients with a program like this. Um, just like anything else, if your customers aren't engaged, you know, it's, it's not going to work the way that you're hoping. And so we provide a lot of enablement around our solution, whether that be reporting, training, um, you know, guides, uh, check-ins all kinds of things just to make sure that they're utilizing their, you know, getting the most out of their investment. And if they are, then it's, it's a home run. If not, you know, we might get them on base uh, and, and they'll make some good headway, but 
yeah. it's, it's never the same as when you've got a client who's just like, you know, super engaged and uh, making the most of it. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention too. So when, when we joined or we both jumped on the zoom here, uh, it looks like you guys, and I don't know if this is post-sale, you design a custom zoom background that looks like the, the client's headquarters. Tell us about that tactic. Who, you know, who came up with that idea and is it a post-sale thing or is it a pre-sale tease? It's a, yeah, it's customer driven. I mean, they, they were, they love it. They asked for it. So, um, yeah, we, we made it as part of our onboarding where, Again, it's like digital swag. You know, we do send every new client. We do send them a welcome package in the mail, like snail mail, t-shirt, pens, you know, books. Like, hey, welcome to Nerdwise. Nice stationery, all yeah. that stuff. Um, and then, and then, yeah, custom branded Zoom backgrounds. Um, and it's just that's the world we live in today. And uh, I mean, it costs nothing to make, and it's uh, it, it's it's a nice value add. You know, <laughs> people don't always remember what you say, but they remember like how you make them feel. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's you know, I, I, I found years ago, I did a kind of an audit, like a loose audit of our customers. And when I looked at who, you know, renewed and stayed with us the longest versus who didn't, um, one of the big differences was of, of the majority of our renewals, we had done something special for them. Hmm. Of the ones who didn't renew, we hadn't ever gone like above and beyond. And that doesn't mean you have to go like do something crazy. But if you do a customer interview, you put them on your blog, you make them some nice Zoom backgrounds, you give them a free license, you, uh, you know, really spend time understanding what their needs are and, you know, working with them on a, on a unique problem. I mean, I've had customers, I've had three customers now that had no uh, case studies or evidence of like the traction that they had. And so I literally went personally interviewed like 15 of their customers on a Zoom call for five minutes and had them trimmed down into branded customer testimonial videos, cost me a few hundred dollars and some of my time. And those customers are still with us and they're never gonna leave. Wow. You know, I mean, they might leave another year or two later, but I mean, I make off of one customer 30 grand a year. I mean, it's yeah. worth it, right? To, to go a little bit above and beyond. And those are the customers who will be the great references for you. And they're the ones who mm -hmm. reshare your stuff on LinkedIn. And, you know, so the, the zoom that, backgrounds are in the, that same spirit of like, Hey, if we can do something special and, and create a great experience and, and make you feel a little warm and fuzzy, like that's, that is like a target of ours is, is looking for those opportunities. That's golden. That, that, yeah, this is an area too, where I'm looking for new ideas for how to strengthen customer relationships. Cause what I've experienced, especially over the last 18 months is you do the little things like you're saying, it doesn't have to be a big money spend. Uh, it's just showing a little thought and intention. And what you, what I've found is that the customers that get that attention end up buying more expanding or making referrals to other customers. So it, it is, it's a flywheel. You've created a, a flywheel and the, yeah, the zoom background was just so creative. And, and just for, for the listeners, it looked just like, uh, the headquarters. I thought, you know, Patrick was in the office and, uh, it's just a nice touch. And like you said, no cost, it's just very thoughtful. And, uh, in this world where we're all, you know, spending a lot of time on zoom, I think it's a, a valuable thing and an interesting thing. So I thought that was a really nice touch and that's fantastic advice about how to nurture your existing customers in a way where, you know, again, you're creating a flywheel in your business that will absolutely lead to renewals and expansions and referrals and all the good things that, that you want to get. It makes selling a lot easier when you have, uh, you know, a tribe behind you that's championing the product. And again, it's not, a, it's not about spend or, or schmooze either. It's really just about showing some intention and being a little bit thoughtful about it. 
I love it. Yeah. Well, so we're, we're coming up here on, on time. I have one last question for you. Uh, you've got a great sort of perspective on the, the software selling market and the technology side of things. And I'd love for you to share your advice for someone who's listening that may be coming into a software selling career or, you know, just a selling career in general that is looking ahead at the next couple of years and wanting to make, the, make a name for themselves in the industry. What, what piece of advice would you give somebody in that stage of their career? How can they be, you know, the most effective? How can they be a, an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur? How can they find, uh, you know, great success working with customers? And I know I'm throwing a lot at you here and there's probably a lot of different ways you can go with it. Um, but if you had to sum it up for, you know, to one piece of advice for finding success in a SaaS selling career, how would you, uh, you know, what would you share with, with someone in that position? I mean, so there's a, there's a bunch of different ways to answer that, but I think the, yeah. the most, one of the most impactful things anybody can do for themselves is, and this is the old Tim Ferriss, at least that's where I got it from the first time is, you know, you're, you're the average of the five people you spend mm -hmm. the most time with. Um, and, you know, also like there's the whole idea of like what you believe is what you receive and, and, you know, there's a number of things, but it, it, it all kind of comes back to, you know, you or like you rise to the expectations of others like who are you surrounding yourself with and and yeah. and what's what are the types of relationships you're building and it's not just professional it's personal um you know if 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 you're still hanging out with your college buddies and you know most of them are unemployed or just screwing around then there's nothing wrong with that they are can be the yeah. best people in the world and great friends but if you're really trying to grow personally professionally you, you gotta, you gotta look at, at who you're surrounding yourself with, who you're, you know, that that's affecting your thoughts, your thoughts affect your, you know, your, your words and your actions and all that stuff becomes, you know, your identity. And um, I think one of the best things for, for me has been the, I want to say the network, because I think it, it, it diminishes how important it really is. It's not just a network. It's, it's truly the relationships, the friendships, the, the people that have become like family to me that I can, call on when I just need a little bit of mentorship. And if I, if I, if I'm in a, you know, a hard place, if I need some advice, if I, whatever the case is, you know, you, you need to have not just, uh, uh, you know, like I've heard, I think Reed Hoffman actually was the one who said this, you, you have acquaintances and then you have allies. Um, like acquaintances are people that, you know, and, you know, you kind of network through to get intros. Allies are people that they're like, you know, you don't ask them for anything. Um, they're just close, close value relate, you know, high value relationships. And it's like an unspoken bond, but it's so strong that you could actually say it out loud to them that if, if you ever needed anything that they would do it for you and vice versa. And so, I, I mean, build, build your allies, you know, build some really great relationships, get to know people that have been there where you want to be and, and get to know them well, or get, get to know people that are on their way there. I mean, they're not hard to yeah. spot. Right. Um, so I think I would, I would focus on that. And from that, you know, you'll, you'll get the learnings, you'll get the, what to do next. Um, you'll get the opportunities. All of that comes, you know, largely through, it doesn't even have to come directly from those people, but it comes from being around them and expecting to be on the same track as them and thinking mm -hmm. the same way or learning how they do something and then applying it to, you know, your own, your own life. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Patrick, for sharing that. Uh, how can my listeners get in touch with you if they need to? Uh, LinkedIn is always great. Patrick Baines, um, patrickbaines.com, pbaines at nerdwise, you know, however, however you prefer, I'm, I'm pretty accessible. Awesome. 
Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Patrick. It's been an absolute pleasure learning more about, uh, you know, your background and Nerdwise and getting your insights on pipeline generation and sales. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. Good talking to you.